here to recommend any voting. That's not my job. Um, I, I'm glad it's not my job. I've seen many pastors, not many, some pastors who take it upon themselves to make that their job. And I think that's highly inappropriate. Um, that's not what I do here. That's not what I do up here. Um, my, my suggestion to you as the people of Valley Hope is to have grace for one another. Um, if you are going to be a member of Valley Hope or come to Valley Hope and you're going to vote for President Trump on Tuesday, Jesus loves you. I love you. You are my brother and sister in Christ. If you're going to vote for Vice President Biden, Jesus loves you. I love you. You're my brother and sister in Christ. Voting is hard. It's complicated. There is no political party in this country or any country on the face of the earth that exactly interfaces with the values of the kingdom of God. So that means every single Christian in this country is having to make difficult choices and ethical prioritizations in their voting. And that is hard. For many people, it's not a big deal. For a lot of people, it's very emotionally taxing to make those very difficult decisions. And we live in a time where our communities are pushing away from one another because there's no grace for the people who disagree with you. The other person is not just wrong, they're evil, and they're potentially coming to destroy you. And that, that is a, a mentality that swirls around outside, and my fear is that it would leak into the church. Uh, this church, my hope and my prayer is, will not participate in that. that. That is not what we are about. Faithful Christian people can have differences on how important decisions are made. And what we confess is, we are defined by the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is our king, not any party logo. You'll notice there's no American flag in here because our primary allegiance is not to this country. It is to the country of our king. And his government will have no end. That is our primary hope and place of allegiance. We are called to this place in time. I'm glad I live in America. I've lived in another country before. I'm glad I live here. It's great. I pray for my country. I went and voted early, and I took the opportunity to pray for all the names on the list, because I don't know who's going who's gonna to win. And I pray for the people who are going to cast ballots for all of these names. And so my encouragement to you is to pray, to do your best, because it's hard, and to have grace for one another. That does not mean that Christians cannot disagree. They can. They do. It does not mean these are not important things. They are. We can disagree strenuously about these things. But our central identifying marker is not an elephant or a donkey. It is the cross. And we, will, we are committed to that in this church. We are committed to that as a people. I pray that that would dominate our hearts. Because here's what's going to happen on, on Wednesday when we wake up and, God willing, find out that somebody won an election. Hopefully we know by then. On Wednesday... Jesus will still be the king of the universe. And he will still be the most important person in my life. And he will still be the only hope for the Swannanoa Valley, for my family, for this country, and for the whole world. He, his government will not be changing hands. And it is because of that that our, our hopes are, are sure. We don't have to approach Tuesday with anxiety. We don't have to approach it with fear. All our hopes is not on any of these candidates. They're in Jesus.
And if we can model that and reflect that to the world, we will be offering safe harbor to people who are badly, badly shaken right now. That is, that would be a significant hope and blessing to our community. So my invitation to you uh, is to that. That's where I'm coming from. That's where we're coming from uh, in this church. Today, you know what today is? Today is All Saints Day. Yesterday was Halloween. Halloween used to be known All Hallows Eve, which got smashed together into Halloween. All Hallows Eve is talking about the day before All Hallows Day, All Saints Day. Our confession is the true timing of the world is the church's calendar, not the world's calendar. Today is All Saints Day. And so what we remember is all the saints that have ever come before us and preceded us into glory. So I would invite you then to remember that the things that connect us to the saints of all time are far more important to the questions of our citizenship in this country at this moment. So remember the people whom you've loved and who have loved Jesus faithfully and have preceded you into glory. Think about the great famous saints of all time from ages past. The big famous ones in the books and have their names on hospitals and stuff like that. And think about the millions of Christians who have died that you have never heard of. Those people, all of us, are joined into the invisible church, sealed by the work of Jesus Christ. And we trust him to sustain us and carry us to the very end. So I want to pray for us and for our country in this election season. And I want to pray that we would look upon the, the faithful witness of the saints who have gone before us and see behind their faithfulness the even larger faithfulness of Jesus who will sustain us as he has sustained them. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we, uh, we love that you have sovereignly, providentially appointed to us this time and this place to be alive with all of, of the difficulties, with all the opportunities. We pray for our country. We pray, God, that you would bring peace in this election season, that you would bring peace on the end of this election season, that whoever wins would be uh, given the wisdom and strength to govern justly, that whoever loses would be able to faithfully participate in the flourishing of this nation as well. God, we pray for people who are terrified right now, who are angry, who are all kinds of very, very difficult things in their hearts. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would present yourself to your people and to the whole world as the only hope of the nations. And God, we pray that you would make sure to set our hearts on that same truth, that we would not hypocritically ask it for others and not pray it for ourselves. God, we thank you for the testimony of your church triumphant, that the invisible church, the church of all time. We thank you for the faithful uh, grandmothers and friends and neighbors who have preceded uh, us into glory and all the, the saints of all time. We pray that we would see their faithfulness and be called to faithful lives ourselves, resting in the faithfulness of Jesus 
who has carried and sustained them. Lord, we trust you far more than we trust anyone else, any politician, any friend, any other cause. You are meant to hold our trust. We pray that it would be so really and truly. We ask that the words of your scriptures would pierce our hearts, form us, and make us into that kind of people together. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 21 and 22 this morning. I think it might be on the screen behind me, uh, but you can also turn in your Bibles. We're going to talk about two cities that hear of judgment in the book of Isaiah. So we're going to read Isaiah 21, 1 through 10. The oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. As whirlwinds in the Negev sweep on, it comes from the wilderness from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me. The traitor betrays and the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elam, lay siege, O Media. All the sighing she has caused I bring to an end. Therefore my loins are filled with anguish. Pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. They prepare the table. They spread the rugs. They eat. They drink. Arise, O princes. Oil the shield. For thus the Lord said to me, Go, said a watchman. Let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. Then he who saw cried out, Upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights. And behold, here comes riders, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. O my threshed and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. And now I'm going to skip down into Isaiah 22, 1 through 14. The oracle concerning the valley of vision. What do you mean that you've gone up, all of you, to the housetops, you who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town? Your slain are not slain with the sword or dead in battle. All your leaders have fled together. Without the bow, they were captured. All of you who were found were captured, though they had fled far away. Therefore, I said, look away from me. Let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. For the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision, a battering down of walls and a shouting to the mountains. And Elam bore the quiver with chariots and horsemen, and Kir uncovered the shield. Your choices valleys were full of chariots, and the horsemen took their stand at the gates. He has taken away the covering of Judah. And that day you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool, and you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to him who did it 
or see whom him who planned it long ago. And that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth, and behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for for you until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. We have here two cities that are experiencing judgment. The first is Babylon, and the second is Jerusalem. Now, if you've read the Bible before, in any great stretch in the Old Testament, and even into the New, Babylon is always the bad guy. Babylon becomes the symbol of the kingdoms of this world arrayed against the people of God. But in this story, in this tale, Babylon's destruction is proclaimed in prophecy, and the people of Jerusalem are sad. They are distraught. Now, that's confusing, because normally, under any other circumstance, when you come to the destruction of Babylon in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the people are thrilled that Babylon has finally fallen. What seems to be happening here in this text is that we're actually sort of rewinding even further back into history. And before Babylon was Babylon the Great... And it was conquering everything, including Jerusalem and Israel. They were Israel's allies against the big bad guys of Assyria. We've talked about Assyria in weeks past. The neighbors to the north who are mean and scary and coming to burn Israel to the ground. Babylon are the people, some of the people, that the people of Jerusalem and Judah tapped on the shoulder and said, Hey, can you help me fight these big bad neighbors to the north? And what they've done is they have put their trust that Babylon, mighty Babylon, will help them and preserve them and keep them safe. And so when they hear news that actually Assyria has come in and knocked out Babylon temporarily, they are totally dismayed. What will we do? Babylon is fallen. We have nobody now on our side to help us with the neighbors to the north. And so they are afraid. Now the second scenario is speaking directly to Jerusalem. First is the news that Babylon fell. Now is news for Jerusalem, which has not yet fallen. And this crazy thing has happened in Jerusalem's history. Assyria did indeed come knocking on Israel's door. They came to do exactly what they were afraid that they would do. And a miraculous thing happened. The the invading emperor Sennacherib brought his armies to the the very doorstep of Jerusalem. And God miraculously intervened. It says in, in the books of Kings, you can read the story how it says an angel of the Lord came and thousands of Assyrian people died. Just no explanation. They just woke up one morning and most of the army was decimated. And Sennacherib, this all-conquering bully from the north, he leaves in tears because he can't do what he set out to do to Jerusalem. And this prophecy is going back to when that happened. And what Isaiah is describing is their attitude as Assyria was coming after them. 
And so he says, as Assyria was coming, the people of Jerusalem despaired. And they went around the walls and they tore down houses to see where they could put up the walls. They filled up all of the cisterns for a siege because when they get surrounded, you run out of food and water when you live in a place like Jerusalem. They filled everything with water that they could. And then they absolutely lost their minds with fear and despair. And what God had told them in that moment was, because the armies are coming, you need to repent. You need to shave your head. You need to put on mourning clothes. You need to repent and ask God to come and deliver you from these people. And instead, they did the opposite. They said, it doesn't matter. We're going to die. There's no way we can defeat Assyria. So we might as well have a party. So they took all their animals, their oxen and their sheep, they killed them, they barbecued them, they poured out all the wine, and they had a massive party because they said, we might as well eat good tonight, tomorrow we're going to die. There is nothing that can be done in the face of that army. And now, after these events have happened, after already God has delivered them, God has whispered a word into Isaiah's ear. He says, for this lack of trust... You will die. You will be punished because you have forgotten me in the moment of your need. It's two cities that are being talked about here. Babylon and Jerusalem. And both are about the people of God. And both are about Israel's failure to trust the only God, the only one who could ever save them. Now the deep, deep irony of their fear and despair over Babylon's destruction is that Babylon is the thing that will ultimately kill them. They are sad because the thing, the people, the nation they want to make an alliance with, that people, those Babylonians, will ultimately be the very ones who tear down the walls of Jerusalem, who bulldoze the temple, who take everything out of the sanctuary of God, and who will enslave all of the most important people. But Israel has no vision. They instead are clinging to the thing that will kill them. And in the other scenario, they are in despair. They are afraid. They are so, so depressed because all they think they have is the stuff that they can control. We have the walls at our hands. We have the cisterns at our feet that we can fill with water. And that is all we have in the face of the Assyrians. And we are terrified. And so they descend into the madness of despair. In both scenarios, the problem with Israel is not their alliances and their failure to execute the right socio-political maneuvers on the, on the global map. The problem is that they have failed to trust God. They have made for themselves idols out of Babylon and of out of their stuff. And there is a warning here to Israel and to us. You cannot trust anything or anyone else and let your, your hopes rest on God and anything. God and dot, dot, dot. God and fill in the blank. 
your grades, your security, your finances, your geographic location, your family, anything else. It's not God and fill in the blank. It's just meant to say, trust God, period. Period. I was... Um, <clears throat> I was... Uh, sitting in here this week, uh, just in the quietness of the sanctuary, just reflecting on this, these two passages and asking God to sort of shovel into the subterranean reaches of my own heart and to expose to me all the ways that I have been just like Israel. And it was not that hard to think of a long list of moments in which I have done just this. Um, the thing that immediately jumped into my mind is uh, at the beginning-ish of the pandemic of, of lockdowns, at the end of March, beginning of April, sometime in there, um, I was really struggling with, in my heart, with with anxiety, with sort of all of the future forecasting. You know, I, this is my job. It kind of is dependent on people being in rooms together, which is like, you know, not allowed at that point at all. Um, I didn't know, nobody knew like the health of what was coming or not coming for my family. And I remember very vividly looking at my wife and thinking, my wife is awesome, and if she's by my side, I can get through anything. And I told her that. I, f I took real comfort in that, and it's largely true. My wife is awesome, and uh, if anything comes my way, my wife has taught me that we can endure and we can get to the other side. But as I was sitting here this week and casting back in my mind to that moment, I realized that I was moving beyond just being grateful for the gift that God had given me in my life and fixing my hopes on the gift instead of the one who gave me the gift. Instead of making the move to say, my wife is incredible and will help me endure anything. I can't believe God would love me and care for me so much. I just said, Aaron is a rock and I will cling to her. <laughs> on its face, not a terrible strategy. She is a rock. But my wife cannot bear the weight of all of my needs and hopes and fears. She cannot. If anybody can come close in this world, it is my wife. But even she cannot do that. In that moment, I was putting my hope in the things that I could touch and see with my hands. And I'm, I'm thankful to God that he didn't rip that out of my hands. He didn't whip my, rip my wife out of my hands in that moment to help me see it. He was merciful and gentle and patient with me. <clears throat> because if he had, I, I would have crumbled. Now, in addition to that, in my own life, I would do these sort of calculations. Like, it's, I'll just be very honest, it's been very difficult to figure out how to be a pastor when you're not allowed to see people. And it's 
is scary for me because I'm already not very good at being a pastor. That's in the best of times. And then when I can't do the ordinary things of seeing, you know, how many people are in the room, checking in with people, it was, you know, how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to continue to do this? And I, I realized in that I was making alliances with things that were never meant to be my hope and instead can be used to imprison and to kill me. I, I can hop in bed with the enemy of my soul like that. I, I will absolutely trade a moment of temporary security and give away a yet more ground for those things to own me. Instead of just being in the place where I can be thankful for God has provided for me, I can give ground in my heart for that provision to be my prison. See, it's, it's really tempting to read the Old Testament and to say, man, Israel's dumb, aren't they? They just keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. God's told them like a thousand times, like just turn the page and it's there again. Like stop, stop doing this, you dummies. But you know what? Scripture is often a mirror and it tells me the truth about myself. I am an Israelite. This is me. I, I, I do this all the time. I make things ultimate that are only temporary. I, I put my trust and give my allegiance to things that I know are ultimately coming to kill me. I will look at the good things in my life and instead of worshiping the one who has given them to me, I will just content myself with those good things. And I will excuse it and rationalize it in all kinds of religious ways. And here is this word whispered to Isaiah. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for for you until you die. Here's the truth about God that is a little bit scary. Is because he loves you, he will not let you live a life of comfort so that you can cling to your idols. And let them lull you asleep until you breathe your last in their grasp. But instead, he will free you by killing your idols. Now the warning here is to a Jerusalem that will face their own death in judgment. But pointing forward, there is a hope for, for idolaters, for Israelites like me and for you. Because God has entered himself into the judgment and offered instead a better and surprising hope. You can escape this judgment. You must die. But if you will let him, he will die for you. This judgment must come on these terrible, fickle, insufficient Idols. They must come and you must die with them.
but he can lead the way into the grave for you if you will let him. In the cross of Jesus, God has put his foot on the neck of all of our idolatry and brought my destiny into his hands. And when he went into his grave, he took me there with him. And when he was resurrected, he brought me onto the other side of judgment, on the other side of my slavery, and into the freedom of being known and loved by God. And he alone is the one that I can trust. And he alone will deliver me even when I fail to trust him. When you are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and to the Holy Spirit, this judgment, this iniquity that deserves judgment goes into the grave of Jesus. And when you come out of the waters of baptism, you move out of that tomb with him. And all of your little idols that you have clung to with tenacity and ferocity and with all the hope that is in you, all the things that are injecting you with their poison, God crushes them and destroys them and delivers you from Assyria and from Babylon and from security and the opinions of others and for all the hopes that you have sprinkled in a thousand places. He has collected all of them and thrown them into the grave so that you can be free like Israel was always meant to be free. This morning, if you are reckoning with the fact that you have put your hope in a thousand different places other than God, if you have comforted yourself with a million other comforts, today the words of the Heidelberg Catechism are ringing out with the scriptures. My only comfort in life and death is that I belong body and soul to my Lord Jesus Christ. My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong to Jesus. If this morning you are sitting here saying, man, I have really been putting my trust in other things, this, mo this word is a word of hope to you. You can be free from those things. That Jesus always knew that you were an idolater and an Israelite, just like every other Israelite ever. And instead of just yelling at you and saying, you dummy, stop it, he comes and he rescues you. He rescues you. And if he's rescued you a thousand times, he is not tired of rescuing you today. And if today you are afraid because you realize that you are in bed with the one who would kill you, you don't have to be afraid anymore. God always knew what kind of person you were. And while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Christ died for you. Fear not, because he has shown himself and his character for you and to you. And he will triumph all over all the enemies that would lead you to despair and to fear. And he will never fail you. This morning, would you come respond to Jesus? Would you come hear him and come back to him? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, would you come back to him and let him comfort you with himself? And in him, find all the riches that you could have longed for elsewhere, but find in him the true source of all the riches and love that you went searching for elsewhere. And he is trustworthy. He will never fail you. 
and he will carry you all the way to the end. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for loving people like us, for Israelites, for loving Israelites and loving us. And we thank you that you have grafted us into this story. We thank you for the mercy of, of crushing all of our idols, even though it doesn't feel like mercies at times. God, we pray that you would forgive us and that you would help us to uh, both be embraced by you and to embrace you in return and trust. God, I pray that you would lift the clouds of despair over anyone in here, that you would lift the clouds of fear over anyone in here. God, that you would uh, search out anyone who is in bondage and in prison to all of these vicious idols, and that you would whisper the truth of the gospel, that you have given them a way out, that the death that they should die, you have died in our place, and you have raised us into your life, the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that our hearts would be fixed on that truth, and that you would again and again deliver us from the idolatry we love to cling to. Make us Lovers of you, Lord Jesus, in faithful response to your faithful love. We love you not nearly enough, and so we look to your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.